Welcome to an hour of spiritual focus and finding center. Today, a live BYU Forum broadcast with human rights activist Martin Luther King III. The Forum originates from the Marriott Center on the BYU campus. Good morning, and welcome to our Forum Assembly. I'm Shane Reese, and I serve as BYU's Academic Vice President. Sixty-five years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote that society's goal is, quote, reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that will bring about miracles in the hearts of men, close quote. Our forum theme for 2021-2022 is Becoming a Beloved Community hopes to build on Dr. King's dream. We are deeply grateful that Reverend King's oldest son, Martin Luther King III, will offer the first lecture in our forum series. And of course, we are grateful for the presence and leadership of President and Sister Worthen. The oldest son of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Mrs. Coretta Scott King, Martin Luther King III is a thought leader on the world stage, a peacemaker, and a negotiator on some of today's most critical national and international platforms for social change. Mr. King promotes the healing of, of our nation and the world in connecting the important lessons of the past with the critical needs of our future and motivating a new generation of authentic leaders. After graduating in 1979 from his father's alma mater, Morehouse College, with a BA in political science, his public service by supporting various social change movements through his speaking and writing. A humble but persistent worker, both publicly and behind the scenes, Mr. King has devoted his life to promoting global human rights and eradicating racism, violence, and poverty, earning a reputation as a respected international statesman and one of the world's most passionate advocates for the poor and oppressed. In 2006, Mr. King founded Realizing the Dream Incorporated, which eventually merged with the King Center in 2010 and took his father's message to a global audience by spearheading nonviolence training in Bosnia-Herzegovina, India, Israel, Palestine, Kenya, Sri Lanka, and the United States. Martin Luther King III is a recipient of numerous awards and several honorary degrees, including India's prestigious Ramakrishna Bajaj Memorial Global Award for Outstanding Contributions to the Promotion of Human Rights. Mr. King is the husband of Andrea Waters King and the father of a young daughter, Yolanda Renee King, the only grandchild of Martin Luther King Jr. and Mrs. Coretta Scott King. The entire family is dedicated to building on the work of four generations of leaders to encourage the pursuit of a beloved community. Before Mr. King addresses us, he would like to share this short video. America was built on the power of protest. On moments when our voices launched movements. But none more pivotal than this. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. On this day, 58 years ago, 
My father, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., challenged America to live up to its promise for all of us. To recognize that every voice deserves to be heard. But now, some are trying to silence us. So it's time to get louder. Without voting rights for all, there is democracy for none. That's why today we have to march. Raise our voices. Pick up the phone. To cause a little good trouble. And make this country live up to its promise for all Americans. So rise up, America. Rise up. Your voice is your power. The time to use it is now. Mr. King, on behalf of BYU, we extend a warm welcome to our campus community today. Thank you for a very uh, warm introduction. And first, I must thank uh, God for the opportunity to be able to share today. It is an extraordinary honor, President Worthen and Mrs. Worthen, uh, to the administration, faculty, and staff, but most of all, to you, the students of Brigham Young University. It is a great honor to share with you today. And I'm honored to be your first speaker for this lecture series on creating the beloved community. You know, learning during this time, this pandemic, and during this environment has been a daunting challenge for students everywhere. And I commend all of you for your commitment to getting a good education, despite the many difficulties you have faced. I thank God for the courageous sacrifices of the thousands of essential workers during the pandemic. They've endured tremendous personal hardships and they've risked their lives for many months for our health and safety. Because of their courage and dedication, the day will come when we and our children will be able to thrive and prosper in a safer and more secure nation. My father, Martin Luther King Jr., often spoke about a vision that he had, a vision he called the beloved community, in which people of every race, religion, and nation could live together in peace and harmony and work together for the common progress of humankind. He did not invent the term the beloved community. He learned about it from the philosopher and theologian Josiah Royce, and expanded upon it with elements of his personal vision. It was reflected in the I Have a Dream speech that he shared at the Lincoln Memorial in August of 1963. He often spoke about the need to create the beloved community in which people of every nation, every race, religion, and nation could live together in peace and harmony and work together for the common human progress of all humankind. In the beloved community my, of my father's dream, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because standards of human decency will not allow it. Racism and all forms of bigotry and prejudice will be replaced 
by an in all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. In the beloved community, international disputes will be resolved by peaceful conflict resolution and reconciliation of adversaries. Love and trust will triumph over fear and hatred. Peace with justice will prevail over war and military conflict. For if we truly want to create the beloved community of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, all of us must become outspoken champions, not only of tolerance and the live and let live philosophy, we must also serve our communities as champions of brotherhood and sisterhood, the kind that transcends race, religion, ethnicity, gender, age, or any of the demographic boundaries. Creating the beloved community is about bridging the gaps between the haves and have-nots with real opportunities regardless of their race. It's about creating more of that precious commodity that we call hope, real hope for the forgotten, disadvantaged, and marginalized citizens of our communities regardless of their race. It's about creating a society that eliminates all barriers, physical and psychological, for people with disabilities. It's about reaching out, not just to punish those who have been convicted of crimes, but also to rehabilitate and help empower them to become productive citizens who can make a contribution. It's about building bridges of greater mutual understanding, cooperation, and hope across the gulfs of suspicion and distrust that divide our communities. It's about healing the wounds of history with the light of truth and compassion. It's about lifting up the values of dignity, respect, and goodwill for all people, regardless of their race, religion, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, age, physical, or mental disability. It's about speaking out against bigotry, Whenever it emerges, our voices, our deeds, and indeed our lives should affirm the sisterhood, brotherhood, and unity of all people. And when we make this simple commitment, our lives will grow in meaning, purpose, and nobility. To begin building the beloved community, we must embrace the belief that ultimately, we are all brothers and sisters in the great human family. It means working together to create communities which have no barriers between black, white, red, brown, and yellow. We are all members of the same family because we are all children of the same God. Our concept of family must transcend distinctions of race, religion, culture, and even national boundaries. I believe that we have been put here in this wealthiest and most diverse of nations to build the beloved community and create a spirit of genuine brotherhood and sisterhood. Some may say this is a utopian ideal, but there were those who said the same thing about the idea of America back in 17 and 76. There were those who said the same thing about ending slavery in the 19th century, and those who said the same thing about eradicating racial segregation in the 50s and 60s. And I can remember some folks saying, 
that we'll never have a black president. The beloved community we seek is not a place, but a state of heart and mind, a spirit of hope and goodwill that transcends boundaries and embraces all creation. When we reach out to someone of any race, religion, or culture, with a loving attitude, we can create miraculous transformations. Love can break down the most formidable of barriers and overcome the most difficult of obstacles in interpersonal and intergroup and international relationships. Those who learn how to express Love in creative ways are the healers and leaders who blaze the trail forward to the beloved community. My father wrote that the call for a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concerns beyond one's tribe and race, class, and nation is in reality a call for an all-embracing and unconditional love for all. This often misunderstood and misinterpreted concept has now become an absolute necessity for the survival of humankind. Now, when I speak of love, I'm speaking of that force which all of the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. This Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist belief about ultimate reality is beautifully summed up in the first epistle of St. John. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Like my father, I believe that love is the essential foundation of the beloved community. Our challenge today is to embrace unconditional love and declare ourselves citizens of the beloved community. We must affirm the sisterhood and brotherhood of all people, every race, every ethnic group, every religion, young and old, women and men, gay and lesbian, people with disabilities, every person, truly every person can become a leader of the betterment of our society and for humanity. One of the most important things to understand about leadership is that it does not mean you have to be a famous person in the newspapers or on television. Instead, leadership means you step up to make a better world. Sometimes I hear people complaining that they don't make leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. anymore. But instead of complaining, we can become leaders ourselves. My father once was a young person with many of the same dreams and insecurities that young, some young people have today. But he worked hard and prepared himself in a way that he was able to answer when history called. And that's what 
young people in every nation must do if we want to save our planet from war and environmental destruction. Leadership requires that we speak out for justice and equality. It means that we become champions of those who are less fortunate. It means that we become inspiring examples of courage and compassion in our families, communities, our nation, and world. You don't have to be famous to do this, though. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have. You can be a lawyer, or a farmer, or a teacher, a student, an auto mechanic, an accountant, and still be a leader. Somebody who inspires people with your integrity, courage, and vision. Get the best education you can for your chosen field, but also work on your inner strength. Make yourself into a person of conscience, compassion, and courage. That's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. All of you here today can, be champ can become champions of civil and human rights. All of you can make a difference. All of you can help create a better future for the people of our planet. No matter what kind of job you get, you can be a leader. You can do this by being a person who always stands up for that which is right. Be someone who stands up against bullying. Someone who stands up uh, with integrity against corruption and exploitation. Be a person who stands up for peace and brotherhood and sisterhood. One of the most powerful tools available to you in becoming a leader is the philosophy and strategy of nonviolence that Martin Luther King Jr. used to win all of the victories of the modern American civil rights movement. My father taught that nonviolence is not only a method for needed social change, it's a powerful tool for revolutionary personal transformation. Studying nonviolence will give you a greater sense of wholeness and meaning in your lives. It will help you become a force for justice and peace and human rights. It will empower you to become a leader for a better world. If you learn to tap the power of nonviolence in your personal lives, it will also give you an advantage in dealing with conflicts and disputes as you grow older. Students and young people, many of them your age, played an integral and important role in the modern civil rights movement in America. For example, back in 1963, my father led citywide protests against racial segregation in public accommodations in Birmingham, Alabama. More than 2,000 young people, some were elementary school children, filled the jails to protest against the injustice of racial discrimination. Throughout the American modern civil rights movement, many young people who were not old enough to vote themselves were active in helping to register voters. Much of the freedom African -American, Americans have achieved in the U.S. so far comes from the dedication of students and young workers of all races. Make your voice, your deeds, and indeed your life a force that affirms the unity of all people. If you can make this simple commitment, your life will grow in meaning and purpose and nobility. One of the responsibilities of being a citizen of a beloved community is a spiritual obligation to serve humanity. 
I was encouraged to learn that Brigham Young University places a strong emphasis on the importance of community service as part of the student experience. There are so many, many ways to serve humanity, for the need is great. In fact, I first was introduced to the church some years back around 2007 or 8 when I met Elder Robert Gay and his family and many other leaders of the church. And we had a, a very serious situation in Louisiana, outside of New Orleans. There was a storm, a hurricane, and a tornado, I believe, all of that in one. And that community was decimated. And although a lot of assistance was going to the larger cities like New Orleans, this one community, there, were not, there was not a lot of help coming. When, so we reached out to the church and Elder Gay and others. And the church came and over 1,500 people stayed in that community for several weeks until that community was totally brought back to what it was. Now, that commitment is amazing. And for that, I will always have tremendous admiration for the church. But that's just one of millions of things that you do all the time. You know, service is a powerful healing force that builds bridges of hope, trust, and kindness over gulfs of alienation and distrust. It's a potent force for transformation because it establishes a connection between the server and those who are served. My father said, we're all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied into a single garment of destiny for whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And this is why service to others builds community. Making service a way of life challenges us to put away our childish things and reach out to help the poor and oppressed, the disadvantaged, downtrodden, and brokenhearted people of our communities. My dad once said, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. challenges to answer Martin Luther King Jr.'s call to walk in the light of creative altruism. Life's most persistent and nagging question, he said, is what are you doing for others? And if we meet this challenge with courage and determination, we will not only help make better communities, nations, and a better world, but stronger and more fulfilled human beings of ourselves. His motivation was deeply rooted in a commitment to humanitarian service. He believed that service was the highest form of leadership, and this meant that leadership was not reserved for an elite few, but a challenge that can be accepted by everyone. In his sermon entitled, The Drum Major Instinct,
He offered wisdom about the relationship between service and leadership that can help us move forward in the 21st century. He described the urge to be a leader as a drum major instinct that is present in all of us. And he believed it could be a positive force, not only in our individual lives, but also for humanity if it was applied correctly. Then he went on to say, and there is a deep down within all of us an instinct. It's a kind of drum major instinct, a desire to be out front, a desire to lead the parade, a desire to be first. And it's something that runs the whole gamut of life. And the great issue of life is to harness the drum major instinct. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's the new definition of greatness. It means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Once again, I say, you don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and legacy and words provide an urgent challenge to all of us to become servants and leaders of God and humanity. I hope you will become drum majors in those areas of lasting value. Be a drum major for justice. Be a drum major for love. Be a drum major for peace. Be a drum major for truth. And you will be that servant. With this commitment, we look forward to the rebirth of more of a more vigorous and healthy communities, the cornerstone of a more responsive democracy, which can transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beloved community of caring. When we meet this challenge in America, we will not have to engage in nation building abroad. Our irresistible example will be emulated by freedom-loving people in other nations. The tragic riot in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, the deteriorating relations between police and citizens in our communities, and the deepening polarization in our society indicates that we have plenty of work to do here at home before we can meet this challenge. So let us all work together in nonviolent movements for needed reforms like health security that covers every person and every illness, better educational opportunities, employment, job training and child care for working parents, and protecting our environment. And most importantly, um, most importantly of all, let us stand together in peace. I hope America's experience in Afghanistan will make it clear that we can no longer replace diplomacy and peaceful conflict resolution with war. My father once said, wars are poor chisels for carving out peaceful tomorrows. We have just marked the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attack on America with a profound sense of sadness and loss of thousands of our innocent sisters and brothers. The two decades of war that followed have brought more heartbreak 
and tragedy to our families. And though we mourn the loss of lives on 9-11 and in the wars in the Middle East, and we honor the courage and commitment of our soldiers, we are called by both faith and reason to work harder and more creatively for peaceful alternatives. For without vision, the people perish, we're told in Proverbs 29, 18. Instead of perpetual war and military conflict, let us dare to envision a new era. When the armaments of annihilation are replaced with the plowshares of renewal. When my dad received the Nobel Prize for Peace in 1964, he said, I have the audacity to believe that peoples everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies education and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits. This was his dream, not just for America, but for the entire world. That beloved community vision still beckons us forward toward a more hopeful future for our country and for all humanity. And if we rise to this challenge, yes, we can we can begin to create that beloved community where people of all races, religions, and cultures can live together in a radiant spirit of goodwill, peace, and harmony. History is calling, history is calling our generation to provide the needed leadership and put right the injustice that afflict our nation and world. And so I would challenge all those who seek the beloved community to come forward from the shadows of apathy and indifference. Come forward and lead us to a better society where the basic needs of a decent home, proper nourishment, and quality health care are secured for every American. Let us not be distracted by fear, including Islamophobia, xenophobia, homophobia, and all other phobias. Let us come forward instead with a vibrant spirit of inclusiveness and say no to racism, sexism, and all forms of bigotry and discrimination, and say yes to sisterhood and brotherhood of all humankind. Let us come forward and organize nonviolent campaigns rooted in unconditional love to stop the polluters from fouling the air we breathe and the water we drink and save the precious rainforest of our planet. Let us come forward, not with anger and bitterness, but with healing and hopeful hearts, with a new unity and determination to make a more loving world. My friends, Whatever else you get out of your university experience, make sure that you're prepared to think critically, become more observant, and be a better listener. Attune your eyes, ears, and heart 
to the struggles of others. Cultivate compassion and understanding as, an, as elements of your character. Here and there, people do cross the self-imposed boundaries of our various cultures and re out, reach out to create friendships with different people of different cultural groups. And that's a good thing. We need more of it, a lot more of it. My father believed very strongly that the civil rights movement should be multiracial. Therefore, he befriended and recruited many white brothers and sisters to join the movement, and some of them, including Andrew Goodman, Mickey Swerner, Viola Luizzo, Reverend James Reeb, all paid the highest price alongside the many African-American martyrs of the civil rights movement. These great American patriots traded the privilege of their race for a season of suffering to make the American dream a reality for people of color. Their consciences would not allow them to sit on the sidelines while millions of their fellow citizens of color were denied their citizenship rights. Inclusiveness was a central principle of my dad's leadership. Indeed, he always tried to recruit white people of goodwill in the campaigns of the movement, and he included and welcomed people of different races to serve on his staff and as volunteers. He also sought out and received support from clergy and followers of many different faiths. Seek out multicultural fellowship in your lives. One of the best things about getting involved in community service is you don't have to go it alone. You can find all kinds of wonderful people to work with, and it's an excellent way to meet people of equality and make new and interesting friends. There are literally hundreds of great causes and social movements worthy of your support, but no matter which ones you pick, please make a parallel commitment to exercise your citizenship rights and responsibilities. I urge young men and women to embrace a new definition of manhood and womanhood, a definition that emphasizes civic responsibility, a definition that says, I don't care how cool you are or how well you talk, what I want to know is are you registered to vote? Being taken seriously. Being taken seriously as an adult means that you take your love for your fellow citizens and your love for America to the ballot box where it counts. We all want to see great reforms pass in our lifetime, but that can't be the motivating principle because setbacks and defeats on the road to reform are inevitable. We get involved in the great work of social reform for our kids and grandkids and generations yet unborn. We have to take the long view if we don't want to get demoralized. The comforts and conveniences we enjoy today were unthinkable to our ancestors, whose sweat and toil and suffering made our lives so much easier than theirs. This must be our gift to the future. The sacrifices we are called to make today are the building blocks of the beloved community of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. And so we need you to create a critical mass of active visionaries 
people of all races, religions, and cultural groups who not only believe that the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. is achievable, but who are also ready to work and sacrifice and suffer if necessary to make it a reality. I call you to embrace a bold and dare, daring spirit of compassion and caring that reaches out to help the poor and oppressed, the disadvantaged, downtrodden, and brokenhearted people of our communities. No matter what career you choose, making this commitment will bring a deeper sense of fulfillment to your lives. It's important to dream because we need a vision for a better future, but there comes a time when we have to rise up from the dreaming and get about the work of fulfilling the dream. Another thing you can do is take a stand against violence. For example, we all have a tremendous power as consumers of culture. You can help create a culture of nonviolence by supporting artists whose work affirms peace and nonviolence. In the passage to adulthood, every young person comes to a crossroads of moral decision. You can succumb to the temptations of our materialistic society and look out for your narrow personal interest and not much else. But today, I want to challenge the students of Brigham Young University to choose the higher, more courageous calling of creative activism. If we accept the challenge of creative leadership in the 21st century with courage and commitment, we will not only fulfill the dream of Martin Luther King Jr., we will set a radiant example of love and brotherhood that will prove irresistible to people all over the world. Students of Brigham Young University, this is your time, and your appointment with history is fast arriving. Arise and answer the call. Just as an earlier generation of young people rose up, answered the call of history, and helped to win the historic victories of the modern civil rights movement. The torch of leadership is being passed to your generation, and the world is counting on you to light the way forward to a brighter future. Your leadership is urgently needed to guide our world to a greater destiny. And so rise up and take a stand against poverty, racism, war, and violence. Rise up with an unwavering determination to reclaim our environment from the ravages of industrial pollution. Rise up and lead nonviolent movements to feed the hungry. Rise up and use your economic power to support a culture of nonviolence. Rise up and work for peace, dignity, and human rights for all people in every nation.
rise up in a vibrant spirit of justice, compassion, and love, united and determined to create a better America and world where people of all races, religions, and nations can live together as sisters and brothers in peace and harmony. And as we work and pray and struggle together in the months and years ahead, we will surely to continue to disagree about many of the great issues of our times, but never Let's never allow ourselves to be dragged down into a polarizing and paralyzing hatred. Instead, let us always make sure we disagree with our adversaries as brothers and sisters in a spirit of civility that benefits the people of a great democracy. We have to cultivate that spirit in our hearts and minds, in our movements for social justice, freedom, and human rights. Without that spirit, we will never fulfill the dream, but with that spirit, we will make its realization inevitable. And as we go forward into the uncertain future, let us embrace Martin Luther King Jr.'s challenge to hew out of a mountain of despair a stone of hope and to transform the jangling discord of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Because with this spirit, we will sound the kennel for poverty, racism, and violence in our society. With this faith, we will lift our nation to a greater and more noble destiny. And with this commitment, we will see the dawning of, luminous, of a luminous new era of hope and opportunity, shared prosperity, brotherhood and sisterhood will, re remain, will reign uh, supreme in our world. Let me close with two quick quotes. One from my father and one from exposure to my experiences with my mother, who I got to live a much longer time with. I was 10 years old when dad was killed. But my mom took me to undergraduate school. The name of it is Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio. And on that college campus was a statue of the educator Horace Mann. And on that statue was an inscription, which made an indelible impact upon my life. What that inscription said was, be ashamed to die until you've won a victory for humanity. And as a kid, 14 years old, I was like, wow, that's, that's very difficult. <laughs> but then I broke it down and I said, you know, because I went to the university over and over many times, we can win a victory in our neighborhood. We can win a victory in our schools. We can win a victory in our city. Some of us may win victories in our state. Some may win victories in our nation. And some may even win victories in our world. All those words mean are be ashamed to die until you've done a little something to make the world in which we all must live a little better than it was when you arrived. Profound. Now, my dad used to say the ultimate measure of a human being is not where one stands in times of comfort and convenience, but where you stand in times of challenge and controversy. He went on to say that on some questions, cowardice ask, is a position safe? Expediency ask, is a position politic? Vanity ask, is a, is a position popular? But that's something deep inside called conscience. Ask the question, is the position right?
He went on to say that sometimes we must take positions that are neither safe nor popular nor politic, but we must take those positions because our consciences tell us they are right. So all I am saying to you this, I guess it's getting close to afternoon, is when you allow your conscience to be your guide generally, we don't make a mistake. Thank you so much, BYU, and may God bless each and every one of you always. This has been a live broadcast of a BYU campus forum. The address today was given by human rights activist Martin Luther King III. And tune in to BYU Radio tomorrow and every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific for Finding Center, an hour of spiritual focus on what matters most.